Welcome to episode three of the Buyer Enablement Podcast. Coming in hot, just like Trump the other night. <laughs> Came in a little bit hot on there. Hey, everybody, welcome to episode three of the Buyer Enablement Podcast, just like Jared just said. Uh, this, is, this was a fun one. This was a really fun one to have on. Yes. I'm not going to, I'm not going to lie. This guest was way over the top of my head. Well, yeah. Yeah. For a, like a good percentage <laughs> of this one. Uh, but you know, Shiv is somebody that we came across on LinkedIn and yeah. we were like, this dude's producing some really good stuff. Like, yes. I mean, he knows what he's talking about here. Yes. We should have him as a guest. Yes. His, his key to success is he's able to take really complex things and boil them down to a simple napkin drawing. Yeah. And uh, we had seen a couple of those where we were like, whoa, okay. I mean, <laughs> this is pretty consistent. This looks awesome. Uh, and he's smart. Smart as a tack, as yeah. my grandma would say. Well, it's the, the, at first, when I first saw him, I was like, well, this looks like a children's sketch. What's going on here, right? Well, I mean, sometimes some of us need yeah. that level <laughs> of simplicity. But that's what's so great about him, right? Mm-hmm. Is that uh, he's taking very complex things. He's breaking them down to be very, very simple. And you yeah. look at these very simple illustrations and you go, oh, okay. Well, that makes sense. I can yeah. follow where he's going with that. Mm-hmm. His hot take, everything works. Yeah. Go into it. Isn't that great for all the marketers out there who are trying to choose which channels to focus on? Well, <laughs> if you do something long enough, it'll work, but you really need to pick the right channel. So Shiv has some recommendations there. Mm-hmm. One big takeaway for me were he kind of explained three great tiers, three tiers of sales and their participation in the content strategy. Okay. So the first, the first tier, the tier that we all know, demos, calls, mm-hmm. just being able to handle uh, demonstration of your product or being able to show off like a brochure or show what your company does in the service that it provides. That is yes. the entry level for Shiv. He says yeah. there's two more tiers on top of that. Moving up, you need to, salespeople need to understand what marketing is up to. What yep. are they doing? Yep. They're creating all this content all the time. What actually helps me in sales, right? So if you have a sales enablement motion at your company, yep. you're probably at this tier. Okay. The third tier is what is when like the VP of sales or someone comes along and says, hey, marketing team, Get it together. Stop doing cool stuff and do stuff that actually helps me close more deals. So an that actual never happened. SLA, <laughs> actual SLA, <laughs> an agreement between what effort marketing should put forth towards revenue yeah. and what content needs to happen so that sales team can actually help. Actually help. Yeah. Uh, they can actually help each other. So it yeah. is being able to find that common ground. All right, well, don't give it all away. I mean, we still got to let the people listen to this podcast <laughs> episode here. So why don't we just get into it here now? Now, Shiv, everybody's going to fall in love with Shiv by the time this is done. Yeah. And everybody should check him out on LinkedIn after this is done as well. So we'll put all that information in the notes on this one. But I hope everybody enjoys this uh, third episode of the Buyer Enablement Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Welcome to the uh, Buyer Enablement Podcast, Shiv. It's an honor to have you on here, buddy. Uh, Thank you for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me, Josh. Super excited to do this. Yeah. Before we get into this, before we get going, um, I'd love for you to just let any guests know that are that are joining this show uh, what your background is, what you're all about, what you do, where you came from, where you got all this knowledge that you have today. Can you give us a little high level background on you? Yeah, sure. So I was the CMO of a company called Wild Apricot, uh, built that to about 20 million in ARR uh, without a sales team all through marketing. 
Um, that company got acquired in 2017. And then the private equity firm that bought us flipped us in 2018. So went through basically back-to-back exits. And uh, through that journey, the private equity firms that bought us started bringing me into their other portfolio investments. Uh, and now I run a management consulting firm where we work with leading private equity investors and their portfolio companies to help them scale those companies with marketing in particular so that they can increase their valuations. I like that. So that's the how-to SaaS business that you're talking about specifically there. And that's how I came to know you. Uh, we came to know each other very organically just through LinkedIn. Um, I actually, I'm a huge fan, a huge fan of the work that you put up onto LinkedIn. Uh, you're really, uh, look, a lot of people say that you should be as helpful as possible on LinkedIn and don't be salesy, right? Just bring value to people, things that they can learn from. That's what people value. Man, you do that all day long. But what I love about what you do is the simplistic nature behind how you present very complex uh, notions at, at sometimes, right? Like you're, you're presenting very complex thoughts and very complex business methodologies in very simplistic ways. If anybody isn't familiar with these graphics that Shiv puts up, make sure to look them up on LinkedIn and start following them at a minimum, uh, especially if you work in a sales and marketing capacity. But why did you decide to start presenting information in this way? Where did this come from? Yeah, so, so a lot of threads there. So it started off um, when I launched this management consulting firm, I initially thought the way I would go get customers is with LinkedIn video. Okay. Um, and so I started, you know, I, actually all the video equipment that you see behind me, you could probably see a ring light back there and all the stuff that I have in my room here was to be used for that. Um, but slowly, based, like the way we got our first customers is through my personal network. Um, and so a lot of, you know, reaching out to people that knew me, had worked with me, we had pitched Wild Apricot 2 in the past, reached out to them and said, let's work together. Um, then as we started building the business, it turned out that LinkedIn wasn't an acquisition channel as much for us, although we still get customers from there from time to time. It became more of a nurturing channel to educate the people that were already in our pipeline. And so that's where we transition away from like this hyper, there are some people who are constantly posting videos on LinkedIn because that is their main acquisition channel and that's how they get customers. The other thing that I noticed on LinkedIn is almost everybody out there is doing either a selfie video or one of those hero's journey single line posts where they went through something crazy um, and sharing that and how they came out of it stronger and better. And it just feels like the same thing over and over and over again. And so going through the journey of building Wild Apricot, like I, I took over as CMO there uh, 2014. And this was, it's not early, early days of SaaS, but it's early enough where most of the market had not caught up. And when I took over as CMO, I was not ready to be a CMO. Um, I was in the right place at the right time. And I, you know, said, I want this role. And I decided to kind of figure it out as I went along. And I made a lot of mistakes along the way. And so now when I'm sharing this content, it's like from then all the way to when we finally sold the business, I went through a very long hero's journey to figure certain things out. Um, and it's like that saying, right? If you like a real expert is someone who can explain things to you like a five-year-old in the most simplest way, right? And I find that there's so much content out there, so much noise and it's long form and it's very difficult to understand exactly what you should do. Uh, and I especially identify with marketers who are trying to figure it out the way I was back then. And it can be very confusing. And so like, that's where the drawings came because that's kind of 
that's how I used to explain concepts to my team. That's how I explain stuff to my clients. Um, and so I'm like, this is one of the ways in which I provide value to people I actually work with. Let me just take that, put it up to scale and put it on LinkedIn as just another format of the same content that I'm using in those meetings. That's it's, it's a really great way of looking at it. And what you said, how you found in your business that LinkedIn was great for nurturing existing relationships, but not so much for acquisition. Where are you finding success in acquisition, if not on LinkedIn? It's a, it's a combination of sales and marketing, right? So it's um, a lot of people are like an all or nothing type of, you know, dogma adopting. Um, and and it's, it's not the right way to look at it. Everything works. So you can make Google ads work. You can make Facebook work. You can make LinkedIn work. Um, you can make SEO work, events, trade shows, ABM, everything works. So the way I look at it is, we have personal relationships in this space because of my network. We also have a sales team that's actively reaching out to private equity firms and these software companies that we want to work with. And they have to be a certain size. Like we don't usually work with SaaS companies that are doing south of 5 million. It has to be larger. Um, and so we're identifying those accounts. So it's an ABM play there. And then connected to that, we're creating content to reach out to these people as well. And then LinkedIn becomes a part of that orchestra. Like you have to think of it like an orchestra, right? And now we are launching, we've recently launched LinkedIn advertising to layer on top of that as well. We're launching webinars and we're really early. Like we've been doing this for about a year, but we're already a seven figure based business based on entirely just doing this network and ABM plus content and thought leadership approach. Right. And so like, instead of looking at LinkedIn as like the be all end all channel, I just see it as one of those pieces and you kind of have to invest in all of it and you do it at the rate that you, your business can kind of afford it, afford to, because in the early days of when it was just me, like last year, like my approach would be different than now when we have a team of like five, six people and we can create content at a higher speed and velocity. Right. So it changes over time. That's, it's great. One of the things, the, one of the reasons that I wanted to have you on here specifically is I say many times that sales professionals need to start thinking like marketers. Our first guest, Todd Hockenberry, took that about 15 steps further when we had him on. Um, but I want business development and customer success representatives to see the things that you're doing from a marketing perspective. I want them to be able to understand that if they were able to do something like that as well, that uh, applied to what they do for that business and for their customers that could set them apart as thought leaders in that space. I believe that they would all be more effective in enabling their buyers to know more about who they are and move forward with more confidence with the deal, with their sales professional, with the, with the strategist that they've selected to put their trust in. What I would ask you is now that you have a sales team working with you, are they adopting this philosophy? And if they are, how did you get them to do that? If they aren't, are you working towards doing that with them? Yeah, good question. So I think you have to look at it in phases. So I, if you think about how to SaaS, we're still early days founder-led type of sales model. But a lot of companies that will be listening to this will be larger, they'll have a larger team and the dynamics change as the organization size increases. Whereas like when we were at Wild Apricot, you know, hundreds of employees, like it, it's different. So um, here's how I would think about it is not every sales rep needs to necessarily be a thought leader. 
um, because it's very difficult for every person, for example, if you're selling security software, not everybody can become a security expert. Um, but what you can have is a sales rep who really understands the market's problems. And when you kind of understand that person's situation, what they're going through, when they're encountering you on their journey, and what kind of help they're looking to you for, then you can think about as a sales rep, okay, what type of assistance can I provide this person? And sometimes that might be something as simple as doing a sales demo, which is standard for everybody. And then other times it might be looking through your company's sales enablement resources or content resources to send that to them. And there are other things that sales reps can go way above and beyond to take initiative to understand the specifics of that company or create their own types of content, which usually marketing teams hate. Uh, but in general, you can go above and beyond to have a better conversation there and then publish regularly on platforms where these people are connected to you, like LinkedIn. Yeah. Um, when you take it a level higher, you think at the level of the VP of sales or the VP of marketing, there needs to be a higher level conversation had where the VP of sales needs to be fully cognizant of, of saying like, look, we're having, these are the five to 10 common sales situations we're running into. In order to enable these conversations at a better level, here's the support from marketing that I need. I just don't think that that conversation happens enough um, because the salesperson is more interested in just touches and, and calls and, and, and doing the more ground game approach to sales. And then on the flip side, the marketing person needs to tie the work that they're doing through to business results. So the leads that we're bringing in sales, hey, are they good leads? Are you able to have the right kinds of conversations? And what proactively, pro, what content can we produce to help you have better conversations so that you are enabled? In many organizations, if you were to take an audit of all of their content and, and do like an inventory, basically, you would find that there are huge gaps across the entire buyer journey from the awareness stage all the way through to closed one or beyond like advocacy and uh, thought leadership content or, you know, adoption or getting more people assimilated into the platform. And so marketing needs to be leading that charge because many times if you give marketers this thought about content, they just think about top of funnel blog content, or they might think about a web page. That is like the bare bones minimum like type of content that you definitely need to do. I would say blogging comes actually much later uh, because if you already have buyers in the pipeline, the place to start is what are the people that are kind of ready to buy? What do they need today from us? And in, in order to help them, educate them, support them on their journey. And the more we do that, the more likely they are to buy from us. Yeah, that's great. And I mean, you're, you're speaking very much from, you know, a marketing perspective as you should, you're a market, <laughs> your background is in marketing, right? Uh, so that makes perfect sense. But from a marketer's perspective, what, what do salespeople get wrong that marketing's getting right in, in delighting those customers, those early customers? I, I just don't think sales, like we talked about the VP of sales side, I, I just don't think sales appreciates um, the impact content can have in that conversation. There are many times I'll jump on a sales call and someone will say that they've loved my LinkedIn posts or watch me speak somewhere or heard me on a podcast. And that moment is like, I don't even have to go into, you know, case studies or clients we've worked with or testimonials. We've just immediately bypassed that because I don't need to build trust with this person anymore. 
uh, and trust is the whole ball game on the sales side, right? And so if you can if you can establish that trust by demonstrating that you understand the person's pain, and the best way to usually do that is with content, um, that's when you can get to a point where sales becomes a lot easier. And I just feel like sales sometimes doesn't have enough of an appreciation of that. Uh, and often that's because um, that's because the culture is such that you're a sales driven organization. And so what used to work was, you know, field sales, telesales, pounding the pavement, cold calling without context, without personalization. Um, and more so now than ever that when you want more of those custom segmented journeys and personalization and better touches, you need more content to support that. Yeah. So, I mean, You've touched upon it a couple of times here, um, and our other guests have spoken about this as well. One of the most important things for anyone within the buyer's journey to help in guiding their customer is empathy, right? It's like one of the most important skill sets to have as a sales professional, um, understanding what their needs are, what their motivations are, what they consider success. Really, really, really important. I want to talk a little bit about alignment, about aligning the various teams, about aligning sales and marketing, about aligning sales and customer success. I mean, all those different teams that get involved throughout the buyer's journey, their unique journey, whatever their journey might be. What are some tips and tricks or maybe even some you know hardships that you've witnessed in better aligning those various customer facing teams? Yeah. Um, so I think, um, you kind of have to step outside that to, and then like zoom out and then zoom back in. So mm-hmm. for me, the first question, and you said I'm kind of a marketing guy, but my, actually my core strength is actually overall strategic growth. So you have to step outside yeah. and look at every organization in terms of its strategic growth levers. And if you boil it down to very simple, simple terms, every business has four or five key growth levers. So you can, um, you can sell more to new customers. So you can find more new customers. You can sell more to existing customers. You can prevent existing customers from churning, right? You can enter new markets. You can create new products to cross sell or upsell. You can create new supply chain steps. Um, So like, for example, if you're in manufacturing, you can enter retail or vice versa, right? You can um, enter uh, a new language or a new customer segment that you previously didn't have access to. So there's all these adjacencies that you think about. So when you think about a business, you look at all the growth levers that are available. And then you say, within this specific business that we have, the biggest growth driver might be, or the biggest three growth drivers might be one, two, three. And for each lever, what is the work that needs to happen to capture the value that sits inside that lever? So this is where strategic growth actually doesn't care about the department or function that you're in, uh, strategic growth cares about where is the most value that sits there and how can we bring the most value to the market to capture that, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so when you start there, if let's say we identify that net new logos are the biggest lever for a specific business, well then who are all the parties that need to contribute to that? Well, if we remove titles, from the situation, if we remove functions from the situation, really what needs to happen is, okay, we've identified 2000 logos that would be a good fit for us. Um, There are X amount of people inside those accounts. We need to contact them. 
We need to nurture them. We need to prove to them that our solution is the right solution for them. So therefore, we need an outreach mechanism. We need content. We need a channel or channels to get through to these people. We potentially need some partnerships to get through to them. And as you start to list that out, now it's a team, team sport, right? Uh, I think where things get lost is when you create these silos. And marketing, for example, in a lot of organizations will not have revenue accountability, but sales will. So sales will be told you have this quota that you need to hit. Marketing, meanwhile, can wash its hands clean and say, I hit my MQL commit target, or I don't even have an MQL commit target, and I'm just focused on driving some type of awareness for this, for this thing that we're doing. Um, and, and I think that's the, that's the culture that needs to change. Every, every function needs to have that accountability that maps to a higher level strategic goal. So one example would be um, inside like accounting systems like FreshBooks and Wave and Build.com and some of these guys, they send invoices, right? And so one of the biggest levers for growth there is payments because if you process the invoice to the system, there's a big chunk of revenue that comes onto that. Initially, when these companies start, they have multiple payment providers. So at some point when you launch your own payment processor, you're getting a share of that action. So now whose job is it? It's not just marketing's job. It's not just sales job. It's not just customer success's job. All these things are connected together and everybody kind of needs to rally around that. So I really think that type of problem comes down to leadership. Um, The right CEO, the right chief revenue officer, the right VPs in the right seats know how to kind of work together. Whenever there's silos being created, there's usually not good leadership around. Yeah, that's great. So you're, you, you're a proponent for more teams being more accountable for revenue. hundred percent. I am as well. How, how do we do that? How, I mean, how do we do that? I mean, you, you say it starts with at, at leadership, right? So, I mean, it obviously has to be a, a leader that understands uh, what marketing's role is and the value in marketing, which a lot of CEOs, I think, are sleeping on the value of marketing, honestly. Um, you know, there's there's a handful of CEOs that I'm like, yep, they get marketing. But for the most part, I feel like they're kind of sleeping on that. Um, but like, how do we do that? How do we educate businesses to, because uh, this is going to be a huge shift. If, we, if, if I were to say, look, uh, marketing, you're responsible for X amount of revenue. Customer success, you're responsible for X amount of revenue. Um, even the person at the front door, you're responsible for this much revenue, right? How do you how do you make that shift in an organization? Have you had any experience starting those conversations? And what has the what has the response been? But so I think uh, coming back to the last example, um, let's say we've identified an opportunity to um, create a new feature that allows us to upsell existing accounts. Okay, that's a, an area where product is involved, where customer success is involved, sales is involved because you have to call the accounts and marketing is involved because you have to do product marketing. Instead of giving each of these groups a separated target for this initiative or giving the target to just one part of the organization where we say, hey, customer success, only you're in charge of account expansion. If you just say, this is our company target and we're working towards that. And everybody here is accountable to that and your compensation and everything is tied to that. Then I think you get to a place where you're more aligned. The pieces that where things get tricky is when you sales has a quota attached to new accounts and customer success has a, a, a quota tied to expansion and marketing has neither. And now nobody has an incentive to kind of work together. Whereas when you align on that strategy and no business 
unless you're like Tesla or Amazon, no business has 50 priorities. If you're around 10, 20, 30, 50 million in revenue, your business business likely has three to five levers max that need to be pulled in the next two to three years, which if you pull successfully, you can likely double the business. So if that's the case, like everybody needs to rally around those three to five uh, objectives and have accountability tied to that. Product management, if you're releasing a function feature that's going to drive revenue, you own part of that revenue target. That way you're not getting caught up in the little features and bug, uh, bug things that you have to change and whereas we miss the forest for the trees and the bigger things aren't getting done. Same thing with sales, same thing with marketing, same thing with, uh, with CS. That's it's great. I can see I can see exactly how you could have that conversation with different teams. And act, honestly, uh, after hearing that, that's a conversation I'm going to even have with my development team right here, because right there you can see if there's customers asking for specific requests and that's what's going to move the lever. You talked about the lever, right? What are the things that need to happen to make that lever move? How can we get to that faster? Because that's how we're going to get to that revenue even faster, right? And what opportunities are we losing by uh, perfecting that next feature rather than getting it in their hands so that they can start beta trialing that portion of the software for us, make them happier that we got it to them faster. Let them know, hey, maybe this is going to take a couple more tweaks, but we want to involve you in this process. We want to give you what you're asking for as quick as we possibly can. You might find a little hiccup here or there, but we want to get you to a point where you're happy with this product and it's and it's doing the things that you're asking for. I wanted to, oh, go ahead. Yeah, just I think one of the things that's incredibly um, underrated or missing in a lot of companies is focus. Mm-hmm. Like I would say more than anything, that is probably the number one thing a CEO needs uh, beyond just the leadership skills to bring everybody together and just align like and focus to the level of like you start on something, you don't quit on it in three months. Like if you're going to start, you know, working on content, don't quit on it three months. If you're working on sales, give it more time, like time, focus, patience, like these things are so incredibly underrated. And as you understand those things as a leader, then when you look at the strategic levers of a business, things become way clearer. So if you identify pricing as a lever or marketing or sales, whatever, whichever thing that you're focused on, then you can get more people aligned around that and remove these artificial barrier. It's an artificial barrier, like to say product management is is responsible for the product roadmap, but customer support is responsible for CSAT ratings. Like that is just, that's crazy, right? Because it's, it's, it's man-made, it's manufactured by the leader. Uh, it does. It's not like the, the customer gives a shit. Um, the customer only cares if they're having a good experience with you from all the way from their, the start of their journey all the way through to experiencing your product. So yeah. if you think about it from the perspective of the customer, like the answer is very clear. Yeah. And that's exactly what this whole podcast is about right there. I mean, you put it beautifully, right? I mean, it's all about creating a great experience for your customer because they're not going to become a customer if you haven't created a great experience for them. People don't purchase when it's challenging or difficult or when they have an uneasy feeling about it. It's very rare that somebody moves forward with a purchase in their life that they don't feel confident that they're making the right decision. Along those lines, you had, uh, you had started talking about this earlier while we were talking here. You were talking about how sales has changed and there's a new way to sell. And 
I mean, I have my idea of what the new way to sell is and other people have their idea of what the new way to sell is. And a lot of people are talking about the new way to sell, but in your mind, what is the new way to sell right now? I think it's a lot of the stuff that we just touched on, right? Having empathy, having content enable those conversations, supporting the buyer on their journey. Like I'll give you one quick example. Like a lot of people that we work with will recommend that they create a competitor comparison page, Mm -hmm. right? Very simple, straightforward type of content. Like we've done this for many SaaS companies. For example, Drift has a page that's called Drift versus Intercom. Like why the hell would they write that piece of content? Um, But the reason for it is for the buyer, right? Because the buyer is going to get that information, whether it's on Captera, whether it's on G2 Crowd, or whether it's on Drift's website. So who is the best person to write that piece of content or, or where would you rather your buyer find that piece of content? You want them to find it on yours. Um, A way to think about it is you are a fiduciary or you have a fiduciary responsibility to your buyer and your customer. That means saying no to clients that you can't help. That means, you know, recommending competitors when a competitor is a better fit. And that also means at every step of the way, you're trying to give them the right guidance that will help them succeed on their journey. So they're trying to get somewhere. They're in a situation of pain. They've had all these issues come up and that led them to you somehow. Now you can just be uh, trying to convert them and close them right in that moment, or you can try to understand their situation and try to get them to their version of their promised land. And if that happens to be you, great. Even if it's not, you have to almost be detached from the outcome. It's kind of kind of Buddhist, but <laughs> being detached from the outcome of like whether or not they're going to buy from you. And actually that's, that's when they're going to buy from you because people buy from people that know have that they don't have their best interests at heart. Right. And so they'll feel more safe when it comes time to, to close the deal because they feel like everybody else is just trying to close them for the, for the contract. That's, I love that. The buyer is going to get to it anyway. You're so right. And that, that is how the modern buyer purchases today. They're, they're, they're not going to find your website and go, well, I found my solution. They say that they do exactly what I need them to do. So I'm done looking now. That never, ever, ever happens. And you're right. So you kind of have a choice. Are they going to leave your website and go to your competitor, seek them out, spend additional time figuring out who those competitors are? Um, Or are you going to give them that information? Just make it readily available right on your website um, so that they don't leave your website. There's a couple of things that are absolutely beautiful about that strategy. Number one, you're keeping them on your website. I think that's like the easiest one for people to understand. Do you want them to leave your website or do you want them to stay on your website? Okay, well, let's keep them here. Number two, you are deciding what competitors they're putting you up against. So you have the opportunity to put yourself in a very favorable light there. And it's like you said, you do have, uh, you do have a commitment where you don't want to land a deal just to land a deal. You don't want to sell them on the wrong thing if this isn't a fit for them. So you don't want to position yourself as being, you know, superbly better than any other competitor that you put yourself up against. That wouldn't be fair. Um, That's not a fair synopsis. But at the same time, you are keeping them there. But I think the most important thing is that that helps build trust because you're the one that's saying, look, these are your options that are out there. And if what you're really looking to solve for is this, then you know what? This one is your best fit. If what you're looking to solve for is this, 
and you want a little side of this, then you should be looking at this one, right? Um, that's going to help you build trust. And it's just like you said, trust leads to sales. That is what people are looking for. Can I trust you? What, what you're talking about there is it's a sales concept called setting the frame, right? So yep. you're setting the frame for how the buyer should look at their buying criteria. So you're saying, yeah, you're looking. Here are the five to 10 things you need to consider. And here are the pros, here are the cons for each of the vendors, right? So that's that's definitely true. I think the longer or like the longer term benefit of this approach, like I would say that's the tactical benefit because in that moment they'll end up trusting you more. But in the in the longer tail, it's if you think about software or any type of product you're selling, B2B or B2C, whatever, um, almost everything will become commoditized. Like a CRM is is not proprietary technology. You know, if I want a CRM, I can go to Pipedrive, HubSpot, Copper, Salesforce. I can go to any potential off Freshworks. Like there's so many possibilities, right? So in a, as more and more industries and markets become commoditized, the buyer's decision has nothing to do with the capabilities or functionality, even if those things solve their pain points, because they could choose any one of those. The buyer's decision will be based on brand and who is actually helping them along their buyer journey, because that's the person with whom they'll have the best relationship. Um, even if it's like a self-serve model, you can have a relationship with someone that's just putting out great content in many ways, right? Um, and so like, for example, you guys are running this podcast, you're building a lot of trust with your audience just by them listening to you guys regularly on, on these episodes. So in the long tail, brand is what will win. And when that customer is making that decision, yeah, not only did you give them that tactical advice, but they look at you as that longer play, like this is not a commodity that I'm buying. And actually this is one of the reasons why people buy from HubSpot. Like it's a, and, and Salesforce, right? Like HubSpot really pioneered inbound marketing in many ways, that way we see it today. And that's because if you search for anything related to inbound, they're on that first page, right? Yeah. Um, and so that they're deciding what buyers care about. Yeah. I mean, they, they really own that phrase, right? I mean, they really own inbound marketing. You, you Google inbound marketing, that's, what, that's who you're going to come across. And, and it's, it's been a very smart move. And I 100% agree with you that people are making decisions based on their affinity for the brand. People are falling in love with the brand. The conduit by which they're falling in love with that band is, brand is many times the people that work for that company and the evangelism that the people that work for that company are promoting for the, the things that they do every single day, how they're passionate about what they're doing for customers or whatever the product or services that they're selling. Um, I think that, you know, at least in our company, we talk a lot about Drift. Drift really has this on lock. Their CEO understands marketing. Everybody understands marketing there. Um, the employees are excited about the product and they're promoting and they're helping to re-promote all of the content that they're putting out. But it's like you said earlier in this episode, it, it's really coming from leadership. Um, DC is absolutely incredible at getting his team and through his team, his customers and his future customers to really evangelize exactly what they're doing. And they pulled a very HubSpot move. They kind of invented their own phrase, right? Conversational marketing, right? There's all these chatbots on the market, but we're not a chatbot. We're conversational marketing. We own that. That's what we can jump all over. We're doing the exact same thing with buyer enablement. 
buyer enablement is not a household term right now, right? So we're looking we're looking to evangelize this idea of enabling buyers um, in their journey and to make B2B buying hopefully one day as simple as buying in a B2C space. So, you know, that's kind of the road that we're on right now. And having people like you on this podcast to help explain that we can make these processes better is just, it's so important to us. Like this really helps us. And I really appreciate you being a part of this. Um, moving forward, anyone listening that's inspired that wants to consume more of the content that you're putting out, where can our listeners find you? Yeah, uh, great question. So they can follow me on LinkedIn. Um, it's linkedin.com slash shivn72, I think. Uh, and they can also go to the website, www.howtosass.com and sign up for the SaaS Marketing Simplified Newsletter. Those are the drawings that you referenced. And so we're, we're sending those a few times a week to people via email. Um, but other than that, if anybody's interested in connecting, I'm always happy to chat about SaaS and, or marketing or growth or sales anytime. No, it's great. Thank you so much for being on this episode. Um, we will very likely be reaching out to you to have you contribute to future episodes as well. Uh, as future guests bring up topics that I think that you could speak to, I'll be reaching out to you and just asking you for another five, 10 minutes of your time to record additional information. But this has been incredibly enlightening. A, a lot of the things that you said actually today are going to help me specifically. So I know it's going to help a lot of the people uh, in my network and that follow our business as well. So thank you so much for bringing that, that value to the show today. Awesome, man. Thanks for having me. This was really great. So now you see, now that you've heard this entire episode, Jared, what I was talking about when I said like 80% of this stuff was completely over my head. I mean, this guy's like next I know level one thing, I know one thing that, that he said that I know you love. What's that? He said, people buy on brand. Yes. End of story. End of story. Because everything at the end of the day ends up super competitive. We yeah. all end up. Yeah. Toothpaste on a shelf yep. someday. Yep. But people buy Colgate because they love Colgate. That's right. Because mom used Colgate. That's right. That's right. And I mean, honestly, that was my favorite part. You caught it, right? <laughs> it's probably because I say it all the time. So for anybody that tuned in, want to know more about Shiv Narianen, go to howtosass.com. Look him up on LinkedIn. You'll find him right there. And I would highly recommend you follow him on LinkedIn because He's posting a ton of valuable content. I'm on his uh, newsletter. He yep. sends out an e-blast. Uh, I mean, a couple I, times I, a week, yeah. I get a couple of emails. But they're week. small, they're little snapshots. Snapshots. They're tasty. And I'm so much smarter just from getting these things. So, <laughs> you know, it's fine. So you should be a part of it. Okay, Jared, what do we what do we want the people to do? What are the, the takeaways? People, the people should do two things. Mm -hmm. Review us on iTunes, mm -hmm. obviously, because that means a lot. And here's the thing. On iTunes, you don't even need to leave a review anymore. You can just hit the five stars and leave. Yep, that's, that's what true. you can do. That's that true. really helps us out. The second thing is, we are building the greatest newsletter in B2B sales of all time. <sighs> We're scraping the internet for the best little chunks so that you can put more time back into your day, get back to selling, and read our newsletter instead. It's all gonna be delivered via sales reach page, and it's called The Enabler. The Enabler. Mailer. Mailer. Yeah. That's right. And yeah. we also we already have a couple of subscribers, which I'm super happy about. Well, you know, marketing gets excited when you get up over <laughs> two subscribers. So, you know, it's kind of a minimal viable effort going on right now, but it's fine. Don't worry about it. We'll get the there. enabler mailer. It's yeah. going to get better. It's going to get funnier and it's going to get more informative <laughs> as we go along. Also, if you're listening to this podcast, this is a brand new podcast. Um, and if you are a sales leader in the B2B space and you'd like to be on this show, we'd love to hear from you. So reach out to either me or Jared. It's real simple. Josh at salesreach.io, Jared at salesreach.io. That's how you'll get a hold of us. 
but we'd love to have you on this show as well. If you have something to talk about, about how your teams are better enabling your buyers and you want to tell that story, please reach out to us on that. Anyway, that's another episode. Uh, Looking forward to bringing you the fourth episode with Daniel Disney in just a couple of weeks here. So make sure that you follow us wherever you get your podcast from. All right. Have a great day.